0: So uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 32, as I uh, discussed, we went through, um, finished out 8 and uh, got a good portion. uh, We started out uh, in acts, you know, acts nine. So we went through 31 verses in acts, but we didn't finish it out. So uh, Lord willing, we'll finish it this morning. So, and I have notes all the way through 10. So hopefully we at least get through nine. Right. So just a quick recap, you know, Philip was being used mightily as an evangelist by the Lord. And, he was obedient to the Lord in going to minister how and where he was commanded, and he headed south on the road from Jerusalem uh, to Gaza, and he was led to an Ethiopian eunuch that was reading the book of Isaiah by himself with no understanding of what it meant. and uh, the Lord led him right to this man, him being Philip uh, to this Ethiopian eunuch that had so it was in such a position of prominence that he had uh, charge over the whole treasury of the Queen of Ethiopia, and uh, we saw that that Philip had the opportunity when he heard the gospel being read. Uh, when he heard Isaiah fifty-three about the suffering of the Christ, uh, fifty-three uh, verses seven and eight, uh, he got the chance to explain what was happening. And the man asked, "You know, who is who is who is this uh, prophet speaking of himself or somebody else?" And we talked about that, right? The 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 and forgive me. It's it's it can get used to it. It's going to be common. This was a softball toss, right? This is an easy one to hit. To crank up, load up your weight in the back, and crank that thing, right? When somebody just walks right up to you and says, "I think I need to get right with God. Do you know how to do that?" That's about as easy as it's going to get for us, right? And for us to be prepared, Philip was prepared to share the gospel. He was walking in the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord said they would in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So uh, he explained the gospel to the man and he says, Look, there's water. What stops me from being baptized? The answer was nothing. They pulled over, they baptized him, and then uh, Philip was off to do what the Lord had to do next uh, in him. And then we moved into Acts chapter 9 and discussed Saul of Tarsus, a man who was a religious leader, a Pharisee uh, in the Jewish religion uh, of Judaism. And he, uh, he was a, uh, a man that was greatly persecuting the church. Uh, so much so that he was uh he was taking them out of their homes he was taking them out of christian meetings and bringing them to be judged and they would either be beaten killed or caused to blaspheme or uh, any type of combination of those so he was a great uh, uh in great opposition to the lord jesus christ specifically uh the name of christ specifically and uh was going to to, to get Followers. He had uh, permission from uh, his leadership to go to Damascus and uh, spread the persecution to to Damascus because what happened was, as they started persecuting in Jerusalem, everybody spread out. But we discussed this uh, two weeks ago that as they spread out, what happened? The gospel spread. They didn't just go underground and shut up, the gospel spread. And uh, the word of God just continued to spread even more. So he wanted to go to Damascus. And on the road, he was blinded by the light of Jesus Christ on the road. And in his encounter, uh, Jesus addresses his persecution. And he says that he's actually persecuting Christ and not just his followers. And Paul, uh, as in amazement, says, you know, what do you want me to do? And uh, Paul was uh, given pretty general instructions. Arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Those are general instructions. Get up, walk over there, and wait. Uh, and uh, as that's all happening in Saul's life, and also, I, like I said, I'm going to say Saul and Paul did this last week. Saul of Tarsus becomes known to the church as Paul. Uh, so if I say Paul, and we already said Saul, just no, same person, uh, just uh, I'm... I'm you know, uh, wrapping them both into, into one and, and what how we know him as our brother. Not only did he uh, receive uh, salvation and become a new man, he became known as Paul versus Saul. So, you know, those with Paul uh, could hear a voice, but they saw nobody. So there's a lot that happened there. And as God is ministering and, and Saul's being brought to Damascus, in a much different capacity than he had imagined before, right? When he got there, he thought when he got there, he was going to wreak havoc on the church there too. And he didn't he didn't have an expectation of meeting Jesus Christ on the road and that all of his expectations changed, right? So uh, his whole mission changed because he couldn't see anything. And now he's being led to Damascus uh, by uh, by uh, the people that were there with him. And as he's being brought there, the Lord is working uh, in another man's life named Ananias. And the Lord told him in a vision that, uh, very specifically what he must do. He was to go to a man uh, named Judas's house. It's a different Judas, uh, not Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed the Lord, but another is a popular name back then. But uh, he was to go to his house, and he said that there was a man named Saul praying there, and that that Saul had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming, putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Now, this is a different type of laying on of hands that Saul was used to, right? So Because we know that he was going and laying hands on people and dragging them out of their homes and out of believers' gatherings and uh, you know, kicking in doors while they're having church service or whatever, dragging them away. Uh, so this was a different laying on of hands that he was going to experience himself. And this would be done in faith to minister to uh, a new brother in the Lord. So there's some discussion between Ananias and the Lord, making sure, Lord, am I hearing you correctly? Because Saul of Tarsus' name had spread, and it was one of fear. And everybody came to know who he was, and he was a pretty, uh, you know, that name was one that everybody, when they heard it, they're going, oh, wow. Okay, things are real. Saul of Tarsus, you mean the guy that was there holding everybody's coats as every everyone stoned Stephen to death? That guy, the one with rage? Uh, in his heart against the church. And uh, so he asked the Lord, and and the Lord uh, just told him it's the same Saul. He was going to be used by God. Not only that, but he said that he was going to suffer many things for the name of, of Jesus Christ. That same name that he had hated and caused others to blaspheme. And put them into prison was going to be one that he would suffer for bearing, and uh, you know God had an amazing thing planned for his life. So Saul is now a Christian, and we saw him come to Christ and uh, receive the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. Uh, he's now a christian preaching boldly in christ's name and it ac- astonished everyone jewish the religi- re- jewish religious leaders and believers alike and um, the religious leaders come to a point where they've had enough of him and now they want to kill him uh, so the, the guy that was out for killing christians was now uh, now had the if they had a wanted poster his name and face would have been on it uh, for preaching the name of christ and uh, none of them would have thought that so now, the disciples at first weren't sold that Saul, uh, that, 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 wait a minute, we've got to take this guy in. And uh, at first they weren't willing to take him in until Barnabas, uh, who we know uh, was described as the son of encouragement, brought him into the disciples. Um, you know, then uh, they realized who he was. And okay, if he's with Barnabas, Barnabas is vouching for him, if we want to look at it that way, right? And uh, he's, he's bringing him in and saying, no, guys, what happened is real. And he's a broken man, and he's a new man in Christ. And uh, so they accept him. And now there's peace and edification in the church, and the church is multiplied. And now uh, they're walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So uh, as that that's setting the stage for where we're at. There's quite an amazing uh, conversion that has happened. A man that was murdering Christians is now one of them. And uh, so when, when we're looking at what we're moving into, because now the lens goes from uh, what was happening in Philip's life and Saul's life to what's happening in Peter's life, another man that was restored by the Lord after his own failure. So this is the Holy Spirit's work through Peter. Verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt and in Lyd- in Lydda. There uh, he found a certain man named uh, Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately so all who dwelt in Lida and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So Peter's ministering, as it says here, throughout all Israel. As he was commanded in Acts chapter 8, that they would be uh, spreading the, the gospel uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we understand that, uh, as the Lord said, uh, they would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to all the earth. So now he finds Aeneas and he's bedridden eight years and paralyzed. That's a long time. Now, have you ever been laid up from something, like a surgery or anything like that? Uh, when I had my, uh, my, uh, labrum tear and my shoulder done, I had a, uh, I had a, a sling on and it was like a super sling and, uh, not, it wasn't, my arm wasn't here. It was stuck here. And for six weeks, my hand was out like this. Um, and I had, and I had to sleep like that. I had to sleep sitting up and, uh, I just, so I had to sleep in a recliner. You ever had restless leg? <laughs> Every night I dreaded going to bed because I'd wake up with restless leg. Or I'd get to the point that as I'm laying there, my, my shoulder would relax, and then it, it would spasm because I'm laying on it. And it was it was miserable. I was so grateful once I could just oh, lay down. But then we get better, right? That was a short period of time for me. This man, for eight years, bedridden. Bedridden means you're completely 100% reliant on everybody for everything. So Peter comes upon this man, and he's been paralyzed, stuck. And Peter says to him, Jesus, the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. This is a quick conversation. But the record we have of this is Jesus walking up, seeing him there, and he knows his name, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Important to understand that Peter doesn't look and say, I've been given a special power. I'm somebody special. Remember, we already talked about somebody like that with Simon the sorcerer, just a few chapters back. That would he would be one that he wanted to be known as someone great amongst the people. Peter is making sure that this man knows by by the power, you know, power in whose name and uh, who was was healing him. And he says to him, "Jesus the Christ uh, heals you. Arise, make your bed." Jesus. Uh, the Hebrew word would be Yeshua, uh, Yahweh's salvation, or the Greek word Jesus. So, uh, you know, when he, walks up and that, when, when he walks up to him, he gives him the name by which he's going to be healed. And he says, the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the Savior. By the name of Jesus the Savior, you are being healed. Jesus the Messiah. Christ wasn't his last name. Christ was his title. So it wasn't like, you know, the, the Christ family house and, you know, anything like that. Jesus was, uh, you would be known as Jesus, the son of Joseph, right? Which we know Jesus, the son of God, but the, he was known as the son of Joseph. So, uh, and Peter proclaimed in the name of Christ, that the man will be healed. And he spoke with authority given to him by Jesus Christ. And he says to him, arise and make your bed. And, you know, if that sounds familiar, it's because in Mark chapter 2, Jesus did the same, right? Luke chapter 5, John chapter 5, he would tell someone, arise, just get up, make your bed, grab your stuff. (laughs) You don't need that anymore. Make your bed wasn't like, you know, we used to have to do in basic training, right? You know, just flat, no wrinkles, hospital corners, right? He wasn't telling him, hey, make your bed up and then you can leave. We couldn't leave our day room. Uh, until the beds look good. And if yours didn't look good when they came back, guess whose bed's turned upside down and wall walkers ripped out, right? No, this was a making a bed. Grab your stuff. You're not going to need it here any longer. And uh, Peter knew that the Lord wanted to heal him, and he just declared in Jesus' name that he was healed. And he spoke with that great authority. So now Jesus is doing what he witnessed. Uh, sorry, P- Peter's doing what he witnessed Jesus doing. You know, for three years he walked with the Lord. He's walking, and he's being trained up in how to minister to people. And uh, he just walks up and shares Jesus with this man, and his life is restored. Guys, it's that easy. It's that easy. If we see somebody specifically in a a spiritual sense, uh, they can't even get out of their own way. They're stuck. They've got to be dragged around. Oh, hey, you need to go to this appointment. You need to go here. They're in their lives. They, They are at a point of immobility. They're not moving. They're not doing anything. And we can say, hey, if you want freedom, you want restoration in your life, it's in Christ. It can be found in him. And we share Christ. Will the Lord use us to physically heal somebody? We better be right if he's telling us. God says, I want you to go over and pray for that person. Go over and pray for him. Share Christ with him. And let him minister. Let Christ get the glory. You notice when Jesus would approach those people, He'd approach them in their current state. Jesus didn't go up and go, "Hey, hope you can figure out how to stand up. Hope you can, you know, figure out how to how to, you know, roll over." And I know you're paralyzed, but once you can get things right in your life, then I can come minister. Guys, isn't that what our enemy whispers to us? Isn't that what our enemy whispers to those that we're trying to minister to? No, I can't get right with God. I can't go to church. I got to get this stuff right first. Then I can be ministered to. Then I can really, know it's come as you are. I mean, these guys, he, he couldn't go anywhere. God sent Peter right to him to minister to him in the situation he was in, in his current state. I love here that uh, he arose immediately, it says. He was told uh, a command in the name of Christ, and he arose immediately. Probably bringing you back to when Peter and John were going into the temple, right? The guy was asking alms. And as they're asking, as he's asking alms, Peter says, look at me, you know, look at us. And as, as he looks at him, you know, he's expecting, it even says, in uh, Acts chapter three, it even says that, uh, he looked at them expecting to receive something. He had no idea that what he was going to receive was greater than anything he would have expected. And when he was brought up, Peter and John they pick him up, put him on his feet, and then he's seen in the temple a man that was lame from his mother's womb immediately able to stand, and he's running, he's leaping, uh, walking and leaping and praising God. It says, that's how things work with the Lord. Spiritually, yeah, you're probably going to have to learn to crawl. You're going to have to learn to what? What does this walk mean? But now we can stand in Him. Christ makes the difference. Peter didn't make the difference in his life. Peter said, Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't look at him and go, I got something for you. You're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to really, you're going to go through these certain steps. Peter just simply shares Jesus Christ with him, and immediately uh, he arose. All who dwell in Lyd- in Elida, and uh, Shemar, I've pronounced that probably three different times. You guys get it, right? Uh, saw him and turned to the Lord. For some reason, I'm spacing that. But God's miracles are for his glory. You know, God uh, uses his miracles to get people's attention, show himself strong and draw them in. And there was widespread belief because of God, what God had done. But he's looking like, wait a minute. I know that guy. I've actually carried him one day or I've helped him. or brought him food or whatever. Whatever just happens, miraculous, and i got to learn more. And Peter, no doubt, was faithful to share more as he needed to, and they placed their trust in the Lord. Verse 36, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since uh, Lida was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the, windows, uh, sorry, all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunic's and garments which Dorcas had made uh, while she was with them. So this woman named Tabitha, the translation was Dorcas, they both meant deer. Now, I don't know of a whole lot of women that are named Dorcas. And uh, maybe that's just a cultural thing um, when you consider the Greek. But if you consider Tabitha, that's a much more popular name that we've seen. Either way, uh, this woman was uh, quite a person. It uh, says that she was a disciple, that she uh, loved the Lord, and uh, she was a woman that uh, loved and, uh, and followed God. You know, when you consider a disciple, one that is being disciplined, right? One that's growing in a, in a, dis- in a thought of discipline. Excuse me, dip- discipline of thought, whatever, whatever you want to look at that. She was growing in her relationship with the Lord, and we see here that she was given honor in the Scripture. Her name is mentioned, and when you look at her name it says that she was full of good uh, she's a disciple full of good works and charitable deeds. God is honoring this woman and uh, you know these uh, when you consider what women have suffered for wrongdoings at the hands of men, twisting the scriptures, saying that women are uh, are Uh, inferior to men, that they're they're not quite equal to a man. That is not true. Treated as lesser. And they're not lessers at all, or you are not lessers at all. We serve different roles. We are called to serve different roles. That's clear in the Scripture, that men are called to be the leaders of the home, the leaders of the church. Women are called to support and follow them. To be clear, women are not less, we have different roles, but this woman is given a position of honor, and she's described as one full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. That means that she had an active faith; that her faith wasn't just words. That she was was uh, was diligent in her life to minister to others, that she would do good works and charitable deeds. James chapter two verse twenty six says. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're created for good works that God has prepared beforehand. That means that we shouldn't just be walking around focused on ourselves. You know, when we are created, new creations in Christ, our job is to glorify God, to minister and bless others. Right? What did Jesus say was the whole of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And uh, that's... Uh, When you consider uh, how that ties into Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, we we all have opportunities, it's uh, with what we have. What you currently have and what I currently have in our lives. What we have is what God wants to use right now. Later, it might be more, might be less. And I'm not talking about monetary stuff. Maybe it's spiritual gifts. Maybe it's what we know of the word that we know is true, that we look and go, yes, that's biblically accurate. I don't know a whole lot, but I know that Jesus is the son of God, and I know that God sent him that we might be saved from the penalty of our sins. Any Christian, that's probably the basic. Uh, the it, it is. It's the basics of the gospel, right? John three sixteen. If we just know that verse. Yes, we we must know so much more. If that's our starting point, if that's what you have to share, just share that. You know, you may not be one that's that's uh, you know so comfortable sharing, but get out of that comfort zone. As the Lord opens opportunities, just share. What I do know is this. Don't know a lot. Or you know what? You know, God's taught me a lot. And what he's speaking to me right now to share with you is this. That might be the case. Don't know. But as we're we're graciously and humbly sharing God's love, he's going to use it. <clears throat> just a word of caution. Don't get to a point where we're dreaming to have more so that we can do more. Because then we're going to get caught up in the paralysis of just waiting, right? If I only had this, then I could do this. What if God doesn't want you to have that? What if you say, well, if I have it, it's it's all for but what if God knows our hearts better? You know, how many of us? And uh, hopefully we're not gamblers in here, but how many of us? I know when I grew up, I'd hear all the time, if I win the megabucks, I'd hear the adults talking about that. I win the mega bucks, I win the lottery. I'm pretty sure just about any of us, if we won $2 billion, we're going to drive our lives right off a cliff. Right? We trust ourselves too much when we think we're not, we're not going to. God gives us what we need. You know, not less than what we need, not more. He gives us what we need. Use what we have and the opportunities we have now and in the future, however He blesses us. Spiritual gifts, if He blesses you monetarily, Whatever. Just be willing to minister to people as we as uh, we are given and as we're led. This woman is someone we can learn from, someone we can emulate. We can emulate her service and love for one another. But look what it says here. But it happened that she got sick. You know, they uh, she died, and they washed her body and they put her in an upper room. The widows were sharing stories of. Her love and, and sharing the things and showing the things that had been made. Funny that it says widows here. How many widows really have a lo- enough to offer to somebody that you're going to get rich off of them? Think about it. You know, if, if you consider what James says. James says, pure and undefiled religion, James one twenty-seven. before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world visiting orphans and widows in their trouble. This woman knew what that meant. Hey, these widows, they don't have anything. And what we know about Tabitha Dorcas is that she was one that would like, she liked to bless others. And she would make things, you know, as they're sitting around their mourning and things, she would go and say, hey, I know it might not be, this is my speculation, but what I know about her heart uh, from reading and what I, as I, as I consider this woman is that she would go in lowliness of heart and say I know you're hurting and I just want to let you know I know this is a this is a robe that I've made for you. I hope it blesses you and I hope you're doing okay and I want to know that I love you and I'm praying for you. This was a this was a wonderful woman and she died. You know, and they're all mourning her loss. So the question is, wait a minute, she loved God, she's serving him, she's serving people, and she still got sick and died? Sometimes. That might be the case. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, the, the last half of it says, For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you consider the man born blind, the disciples asked Jesus who had sinned. Jesus said, Neither he nor his sins had uh, Neither he or his parents had had sinned, Uh, but that happened. The reason he was born blind was for the glory of God. You know, When you consider Paul's thorn in the flesh, that he cried out to the Lord three times, and the Lord responded to him saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There's suffering that's going to happen. There's sickness. There's, There's death. There's trouble that's going to happen in our lives. Guys, go read 1 Peter. Trouble that's going to happen. Dig into First Peter. Peter's like, hey, don't think it's strange that this is happening. Don't think it's strange. Be prepared for it. Be ready. First Peter will prepare any of us going through trial. Dig into that, James chapter one, right? Consider it pure joy because it's not pure joy to go through trials, right? But trials build us, right? That's what he's making the point of, in James chapter one. We're going to go through hard times. We're gonna get you know, we may not understand certain things. You know, this woman got sick. There is a false doctrine running through the church that if you're sick, I've actually heard brothers and sisters share that in their church they were taught that if anybody gets hurt sick or anything, it's because there was sin in their life. And you know I've talked about uh, against this several times, but I need to hear. This is a woman that loved God. She was a disciple. She loved God, and she loved people. She still died, still got sick. Guys, 100% of us, unless we're raptured, are going to die. Every single one of us are going to die, unless we're raptured. We're all going to die. This woman lost her life. They heard that Peter was there, and they sent, and they, they get people, and, and uh, they, they're going, "Wait a minute, we've heard about Peter. why don't we bring him?" And uh, they knew that God was their only hope and that God was working through them, and Peter complied, went with them, and Peter got to see the heartbreak. He got to see everybody standing around going, "She made me this." Oh yeah, she made me this when my husband died." You know, those ministering to those that you can't gain anything from. Right. What pure and undefiled religion, like James says, one twenty seven says that pure and undefiled religion before God is to care for widows and orphans in their troubles. Those that we can't gain anything from. Because how many times have we heard stories of ministries taking advantage of people that are the most vulnerable? So wicked, so wrong. God demands more from us. Pure hearts. But Peter, verse 40, put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. So Peter followed the example of his Savior. Remember in Mark chapter five, when Jesus is brought to the young woman who had died, and he he put everybody out and he prayed. So Peter here tells Tabitha to arise, and he took her by the hand. She was dead. She was dead. There was, was no question. It says that he went to the body. Right? You don't talk about a person as the body unless they're dead, right? There's a body laying there. So there's a dead body laying there. Peter went and he prayed. Put everybody out and he wanted a private moment with the Lord saying, I know you're working in and through my life. I'm asking you, Lord, to raise this dear woman back to life. And he turns. Just remember when when Jesus did that. Go back and look at, at uh, Mark chapter 5. So he prayed and then he looks at Tabitha and said arise. He took her by the hand and showed her alive and you know called the saints and the widows they're overjoyed no doubt about that. And the news spread as it should, you know, good news and not the trash that's on whatever news source you've got. This is good news. This is true news. And I'm not even getting political with that. But this is true good news, the gospel spreading. Many believed. So Peter stayed there with Simon Uh, the Tanner. Now there's an important lesson there. When Peter was told to go, he went. He was told to stay. He stayed. And we're going to see here as we move into chapter 10, he's staying for a very significant reason because chapter 10 uh, is a very significant chapter for any of us that are here that aren't Jewish. Because this is where uh, the door is opened for the Gentiles to join the church. For Cornelius and his house were the first ones to go in. And uh, they get saved. And Peter uh, is the one to see it happen, just like he did in Acts chapter 2 uh, with the Jews and Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritans. So uh, as we consider what's happening here, uh, this is very significant in church history because this is where Peter's mind gets blown. Wait a minute. I saw the Jews and the Samaritans that were half-Jews. Uh, That They would consider half-breeds because they had accepted so much of the um, Greek-speaking culture and and the Greek culture. So uh, verse 1 says, There was a Samaritan in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Important to note, this was a Roman centurion that lived in Caesarea, 65 miles north of Jerusalem, and uh, he's, in, uh, he's overseeing what's called the Italian Regiment, so he's a very high-ranking military officer, a very respected man, and says that he was a devout man, you know, so he took his relationship with God and what he knew about God very seriously, and uh, he needed to be introduced to Christ. And God is making that happen. Now, we just saw God bringing uh, Peter uh, to the paralyzed man, right? And then as Peter's there, God uh, just moves in his heart when people come and say, Hey, uh, Tabitha has died. Can you come with us? And now he's being told to stay. And as he's being told to stay, there's a man there that needs to hear the gospel. So Peter is walking, and he's doing things as the Lord is leading him. And as God leads him, he's faithful to do the ministry that God puts in front of him. It says that he's one that feared God when we consider uh, Cornelius. He had a deep reverence for who God is. you know. And it says, with all his household. household. So we know that it wasn't just him that he kept his faith private. And hoping his kids would come along. No, he shared God's word with his family. So we can see uh, a leader in him, not only at work, but at home. And that he's a good man. We've seen examples and probably uh, been witness to, personally, bad leaders in our lives. Might have had a bad boss. Might have been the bad boss, right? The one that needed to be corrected or you know, it's never fun working for somebody who doesn't know how to lead. You know, that's only cons- – and and usually when – when when I, I know that I've witnessed this in my uh, my life is it doesn't take long to figure out which one's which. Because as soon as the heat's turned up a little bit, the bad leaders are just – you're, you're going to see it. How do I preserve myself? How do I preserve myself? When the heat gets turned up and somebody steps up and says, I got this. That's the good leader, right? That's this type of man, selfless man. And he did this not only at work, but he did it at home, that he's leading his family in the ways of the Lord. An important lesson to be learned here. You know, to be godly examples to our children and the children here at this church. If we don't have kids, you have got grandkids, or your kids are older or whatever, be an example to them. But for parents, be godly examples to our children. Be in regular church attendance. Following the Scriptures, as the Scriptures say this is wrong and you're doing this in your life, you're being a bad example and you're setting them on the wrong track. If we're living lives in opposition to the Word and our kids see it, they're going to call it out. Isn't that wrong? Yeah, but it's okay. You know, it, 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 don't, it applies here and for other people, but not. you see the problem with that? This man was leading his family well. Our family should be uh, seeing us pray, praying with us, see us in the scriptures. We should talk with our family about the Lord, sharing who he is. That's what this man was doing. It says that he gave alms generously to all people. Instead of hoarding money, he gave it away. And Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says, for what, will the prophet, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Right? I just gotta have, gotta have, gotta have more, gotta have this, gotta have that. This man was saying, No, I need to give more. There's a need here, there's a need there. I've gotta go minister. He was a cheerful giver, giver, and a, and a selfless man. Second Corinthians 9, verse 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You notice our 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 bog this is not Not. I'll repeat this if you're new here if you've been here you know me well enough this is not a hey there's a donation box out there if you haven't seen it it's not a hint like that whatsoever at all you give as the Lord leads you to give and I encourage you to worship God in that way we are called to this is not a giving thing we're not going to go grab baskets and pass them right now churches do that I encourage you if they do that get up and walk out the door Yes, we're called to give. Monetarily, yes. This man knew that when there were needs, how he could bless people, he was going to do it. But the reason, if you look over those boxes, it says God loves a cheerful giver. It wasn't like, "Hey, hey, we're going to trick you into giving. Give give here." No, what was put up there by our former pastor Will was with it where it says here, Uh, Where it says so let each one gives as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity if that's given out of grudgingly, I guys I'd rather it just not be given God wants us to give back to him in in gratitude for what he's done in our lives That's how whether it's in that guys not even in that box Okay, can move that box out of your mind because too much of the church has been abused in that way and they've been led astray By people who are buying millions uh, mansions that are millions of dollars. They're buying jets. They're buying cars. They're getting their teeth polished. They're getting the suits. They're getting these things. Look at me. Look at me. No. That money is to minister. That's what it's supposed to be used for. To minister. That the gospel would spread. Anybody who's misusing that, I wouldn't want to answer for that. That's a a massive problem. No, what's given to the Lord belongs to the Lord. This man says, you know what? I'm going to give. He's a cheerful giver. He was somebody that loved giving, giving to others and ministering to them. It says that he prayed to God always. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ for you. So this was a man worthy of honor. Uh, You know, we would be doing well if we emulated how he lived his life. So a man in right standing with God that understood scriptures that would have been written. uh, You know, I don't know if he ever heard this, but Philippians chapter two, verses three and four says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also for the interests of others this guy got that he understood that he wouldn't need that word of it, it, it wouldn't be a corrective word for him he'd be like cool i'm doing the right thing right those are always encouraging things like okay i haven't broken things right that's a good thing just to, to know we're on the right track is important so we know a little bit cornelius has been introduced to us Verse 3 says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So it's the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Cornelius has a vision from God and he saw clearly and it was an angel. The Lord came to him and spoke to him. He's afraid and and the only thing he can do is ask, what is it, Lord, when he hears his name? And and he hears, you know, he's uh, he, he isn't speaking to God, but he knew that he was speaking to one greater than him. So he says, Lord, out of respect, because if he was if he was worshiping him, we know what we've seen from angels if they are worshiping people, they're bowing down in front of them. We're going to see it here if we get there today. Uh, from Peter, uh, uh-uh, uh get up. I'm not God. You need to stand up. You know, don't don't bow down to me. And uh, Peter is is uh, is there. And Cornelius, I'm sorry, Peter. Cornelius is there, and he's hearing uh, from this uh, this angel, and he hears your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, there's no indication of anything significant driving his prayers and good works. It's just who he is. This is the way this man lives his life. It doesn't say, like, oh, he was going through this, so he really prayed hard. And to gain God's favor, he really gave a lot. This is just how the guy lived his life. I'll try not to. <clears> this <throat> is how he lived. So it seems to be that this man's love for God and people was extraordinary. Now, his prayers, his, his personal relationship with God and his alms, his loving and uh, generous relationship with others, that those things caught God's attention. Not that God wasn't aware of them, but they were significant. There was something about them that was real, that was deep. There's an encouragement for us. Pray when there's no reason to be praying that we can think of, right? When there's something big, we're praying, right? Like, oh, man, I need this. Or, you know, how am I going to do this? And we're praying and praying and making promises to God. And, oh, what if I do this, this, and this? And God might listen a little bit more. This man was living this life. He loved the Lord. He was a man of prayer and a man uh, that that loved to share what he had with others. And let it be a challenge for us to love God with everything that we are and all that we have. Know this. This angel is saying this to him. God is listening and he does see. He is. You ever at that point where you're like, I'm doing what I can't. I, I, I can't think of any sin that's in my life. I'm not in habitual sin in my life. What's going on here, and why is this happening? Then you can sit there and go, okay, if you have an honest look at it, or am I being corrected? Probably not because there's no uh, habitual uh, sin in my life. Okay, maybe God's putting me through a trial. Then we can just trust in him. That our good things will be done, just to love people and bless them, not to gain God's favor in a in a uh, one of these um, you know uh, trials. Like if I do this, you know, we, uh, if we do things to receive earthly prizes, that's all we're going to get. We want a heavenly reward. So this is another occasion of God orchestrating the minister and the one to be ministered to, right? We're t- he's being given very uh, specific instructions, uh, you know, who's coming and, and uh, very detailed instructions. And he gives Cornelius, uh, he, what he tells him is that there's a man. And he tells him where he is and, and how to find him and uh, that he's going to be the one to be able to minister to us. Remember this, that God does the work. He doesn't need us. If we think we're like God's little helpers that God can't work outside of us, we are way wrong. We are so wrong. God doesn't need us. He desires to use us. He does. He wants to use us. He wants us to. You know, you guys ever watch somebody learn something? I love it. I I love playing guitar. By far, never, not even close to the world's greatest, not even best guitarist in this room. You know, any of those things. I'll never be the best guitarist in the room unless everybody's just bought one. Right? That's going to be like it. Right? And I've been playing 20 years. But it's so cool to watch somebody learn something. And then you can go, hey, now you can go lead worship somewhere. Now you can go do this. It's cool to watch somebody grow. Cool to watch somebody somebody being, God wants to use us. He wants us to be mature in our faith and to share our faith. So God has given him very specific instructions. And we know that God is orchestrating what's happening here. And he tells him that Simon Peter will tell him what to do. So Cornelius obeys God's command that he received. And he called two of his household servants, ones that he knew and trusted, and also sent a devout man, very wise. Hey, you know what? This guy takes his relationship with God seriously. I'm going to send him along too. These guys will do stuff because I need them to, and I know that they're responsible. But this guy, he's devout. This guy's serious about his faith. I'm going to send him too. Verse nine the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the household to pray about the sixth hour. then he came uh, became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of forfeited animals. On the earth, wild beasts, creeping things and birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, it came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. "Uh, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up to heaven again. So we saw how God had prepared Cornelius to hear the gospel, and Cornelius sent those three men. Now God had had sent a uh, an angel to uh, discuss this with Cornelius because God was going to do something great in Cornelius's life. Now the minister is being uh, prepared. I can tell you, I've only been a pastor for senior pastor here about nine months or so. I've been seeing this happen left and right. It is absolutely insane that God would just take care of a situation before I even have to address it sometimes. Or he's preparing me for when it does happen, I can just go, oh, this is why God told me. It's crazy. You guys, if you, anybody who's walking with the Lord and been walking with him for a while, you've experienced this in your life, haven't you? Right? That's how God works. Cornelius was serious about his faith, and he sought the Lord. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. This was a man that was seeking God in his life. Serious about his his commitment to walking with the Lord and the information that he had, he needed to hear the gospel of Christ. So it's not just enough to be a good person and uh, to kind of go about and do things. He still needed Jesus Christ, and God was orchestrating that for him. So he he was preparing his heart to receive, and he's preparing the minister like we just read. So God was using Peter mightily already, and now uh, the Lord ministers to him uh, on a housetop. So he's going up to a quiet place is what it is. No one's going to chase me up on the roof, right? So he goes up to the housetop, and uh, he's uh, been up there a little bit, and he's taking time to pray. He's getting hungry. I can relate to that. It's almost lunchtime. But Peter and his group are getting ready to eat, but God had more important plans. And Peter fell into a trance, meaning he had a vision from God. It's not some weird demonic trance where he's drooling and all that stuff. This is God speaking to him, ministering to him. He's awake, but all the other things around him are non-existent in his mind. So there's a sheet that is seen. And in this thing, so it's it's full of clean and unclean things. And there's a command given, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And uh, Peter uh, is saying that uh, he's uh, never eaten a non-kosher diet. And Peter makes a statement here. That's an oxymoron. I think I hope I'm using that right. Not so, Lord. Right? You can't can't call somebody Lord and then say no at the same time. Not so, Lord. I won't do it, Master. (laughs) Right? Arise, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter didn't understand what was happening here. He was confused. So he says this. Not so, Lord. What we see here is very significant. Dietary restrictions are being lifted. Dietary restrictions are not a thing for Christians, right? What God has made uh, clean, He must not call unclean. More importantly, uh, He's learning that the gospel of Christ is now for everyone. It's all about God's timing. His whole life, He didn't. He would have never thought that Jesus was for you know, the Gentiles, right? They just thought the Gentiles were like fuel for the hell hell's fire. You know, they just didn't, they didn't look at them so uh, uh, in, in a good light. You know, God was telling him that he was to preach to the Gentiles uh, whom God had prepared. It happened three times. There were three men on the way. God was telling him that there were three people that you consider to be unclean that are coming. Don't consider them unclean anymore. Look at the response. It says, for I have never eaten anything unclean, verse 15, and a voice came to him again the second time. It says, God has cleansed, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. God has cleansed it. You can't, you can't call it unclean anymore. God was doing something new that you wouldn't expect. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, verse 17, what this vision which uh, he had seen men, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius uh, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And while, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. When uh, While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down uh, to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he of whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation amongst, among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to this house to hear the words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So remember the sheep. three times it dropped. there were three men that arrived, and they say uh, and the Holy Spirit uh, had told him to go down with the, uh, down uh, to them, and, and uh, they, he wasn't to be doubting. He was supposed to uh, be obedient to the Lord and understand that he had sent them. So then Peter went, he obeyed God's commands. And they talk about Cornelius's command for them, and uh they say that he's a just man, he's a good ruler, he fears God and he has a good reputation. You know, he those are all three good things that we should desire in our life. That we would be just, that we that which means we would be honest, that we would treat people fairly that we would fear God and be of good reputation. Those are important things for us to learn and to carry on. And they say that he has sent us. So Peter invites him in and keeps them for the night, takes care of them. And the next day they all head off to Caesarea. Verse 24, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and his close friends. This guy was serious. He wanted them to know the gospel. He wanted them to know the saviour. He knew something was up, and he wanted everybody to hear it together. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. See the response, the proper response? Don't bow down to me. You may have heard all these great things. God is doing those. Peter was making sure, I am not to be worshipped. When, when we accept worship, we've seen, and we're going to get there. And so if you're familiar with it, it doesn't work out so well. None of us don't want to be eaten by worms, right? You know, when everybody's sitting there saying, this is the voice of a God and not a man, I need to speed up here. I'm already a couple minutes over, and I'll try to wrap this up as quick as I can. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. They wanted to hear the truth. Verse twenty-eight. Then he said to them, "You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into uh, another, go uh, or go to one of another nation. But God has sent uh, me, that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection." As soon as I was sent for, I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? So Peter makes it clear, like, this isn't normal, right? You guys understand that, but God's doing something. So when I heard that why I was being called, I, I wanted to, to to follow, but I didn't know everything. Tell me what's going on here. Verse 30, so Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately. And you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear the things commanded you by God. So this was a long trip, and Cornelius and his family are waiting. The relatives and close friends are there. This was a very big deal. And uh, this man is not shy about uh, his faith, and he wants everybody to hear. And um, uh, Peter um, had already corrected him, and they're having... Uh, A discussion here Peter's like I'm just a tool being used by God I'm I'm nothing special here and uh, God had coordinated everything for them to get together here and uh, Cornelius tells him "Um, can you tell us you know God prepared me I got to hear something from you and this is how God spoke to me that uh, as he spoke to me He told me about you so I sent for you and we're just here to so I'm, I'm just laying it out. I don't know why you're here, but God told me that you needed to come. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Romans 2 verse 11 says, For there is no partiality with God. He's a perfect judge. James 2 calls Christians to not be partial, You know, rich or poor. Everybody needs Christ. That partiality uh, that can come. Somebody has a lot of money, might be drawn to them. Like, oh, hey, there's a lot of power. Hey, they've got the speedboat. They've got this and that. No, you know, Peter makes it, uh, he's, what he's saying here, is, I perceive that God, uh, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Okay, he's saying, Jew, Greek, okay, I know that God's doing something different. Let's finish this out. Verse 35, but in every nation, where, uh, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word which uh, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after his baptism, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land uh, of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly not to all the people but to the witness but to witnesses chosen before by God even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead and he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that this uh, that it is He who ordained by God, uh, who was ordained by God to be Judge of the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets witness that through His name, whoever believes in Him will receive remissions of sins. So Peter goes through and gives them a quick history lesson on who Jesus Christ is, and he says that all who were oppressed by the devil could be freed. That God had raised, verse 40, God had raised up Jesus Christ. They had hanged him on a tree. The one that could give life, they hanged on a tree. And that God raised him. They thought they had won. They didn't understand that that's what he came for. That was his whole mission. Jesus said that all throughout his ministry. And Peter's just spelling out the the simplicity of what we've already studied together and spent uh, great deals of time looking at. That Jesus was to be the judge uh, and is the judge of the living and the dead. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. As Peter says this, look at what happens. Believes in him receive remission of sins. Verse 44, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. It was the preaching of the gospel that, that changed their lives instantly. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit who had been poured out on the Gentiles also. I had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. This is wonderful. These people were gathered waiting to hear what is it that God has to say. They were serious about it. They got there, and Peter spells out the gospel to them. That the Savior came. He was nailed to a tree. He rose again from the dead. And that there's remission of sins in his name, and they all get saved. When they heard that, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When they heard it, they believed it. And in their believing heart, notice it doesn't say that they all uh, stopped and, and took time and prayed and everything. Don't put God in a box. You have to say this and you have to say it this way and you have to say these words and do this this way. Guys, it's all here. God knows the hearts. And as everybody's believing heart, they're just going, I believe it. I've heard that and I believe it's true. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And of course, they don't want Peter to leave. They're like, will you stick around? Teach us some more. That's important. When we've received the gospel, right? Many of us may have been walking with the Lord our whole lives. Or just a year. Two months. I don't know. But it's all the same. You need to know him more and just dig into his word. I want to know more. I have to learn this. That's how we grow. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being patient. Didn't mean to go over. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we are blessed by your word, blessed by you working, you coordinating, God, that before we even know we have a need, you're already working to show us that example several times in what we just read, that you are faithful to meet our needs even before we have them and to use us, help us to be humble servants of you with the gospel on our hearts our minds and on our lips and by the way we live our lives and lord help us to spend more time with you and to grow in our knowledge in jesus name we pray amen grace and peace to you all have a blessed day